Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Hey folks, this is Dave, and I want to welcome you to today's Am I Called podcast. And uh, joining me to help with today's interview is Stephen L. Trogi. So Stephen serves uh, with the recording, typically, of these podcasts but, uh, and, and does some of the editing as well. But, but I've invited him to become part of this conversation. And, uh, and by the way, if, uh, mentioning Stephen's name, you should check out his blog at The Blazing Center. And Stephen, you have a new podcast that's just starting also, right? Yeah, it's me and a friend, Ronnie Martin, who's a a sojourn pastor in Ashland, and we just discuss different things we like, cultural things like movies, music, TV shows. It's not particularly profound. It's We just enjoy talking to each other. So um, j- this is a funny Florida thing, but uh, in the name of full disclosure, so I'm, I'm sitting here and my my, my <clears throat> ankles are, are swelling because some t- sometime yesterday they were bit by red fire ants and so if you don't if you live in a place where you've never had red fire ants you probably won't be able to relate to this but uh but i have some kind of allergic reaction and they immediately swell up and so i got to start pounding uh antihistamines and 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 everything else so it's difficult too because they are everywhere down here oh it's 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 ugly and you get these big old bumps let's check check this one out it's it, these big old bumps. It looks like a blister. Yeah, like it a is. a huge blister. It is. So I, I I mentioned that to gain both your sympathy and your prayers, and uh, <laughs> and for Stephen's sake, that if I keel over and go to urgent care, then you carry on with the interview. <laughs> <laughs> or if you say something unusual, it might just be the allergic reaction. That's right. I have, a, I have an excuse today, don't I? So, folks, our featured guest today is Jonathan Holmes, and Jonathan is the counseling pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland. And that that church may be familiar to you because it is uh, led by Alistair Begg. He is the lead pastor or senior pastor there. I met Jonathan and his wife Jenny just recently while I was at Parkside Church doing a When Sinners Say I Do Marriage Conference. And uh, it was while I was there that I discovered that Jonathan had written a book on the subject of friendship. It's a book that was published last year by Cruciform. The title is The Company We Keep. And it's on this uh, fascinating look into the topic of of friendship. So this morning, we're gonna wade into the subject of friendship, but we're also going to begin looking at it from the perspective of leaders, talk about what it means to have friends as leaders, why are they why are friendships so essential? What are the pleasures? What are the pains? What are the pitfalls? Um, so, Jonathan, thanks for being with us, by the way. No, th- no, thank you for having me. It's a real privilege. Now, one of the first things that jumped to mind, Jonathan, is you're, you, know, you are an educated counselor. You are uh, in a large church, multiple degrees. Uh, you're probably qualified to speak on addictions and divorce recovery and same-sex attraction and and you know just the counseling complexities of human experience but you wrote your first book on friendship yeah. why yeah. it's a great question you know i uh probably about 
five years ago, I had uh, decided to go on vacation with two of my very close friends and their family, which that in and of itself is a story. But, uh, you know, going on vacation with good friends and their families, you just, I think that's a, another step in friendship and in relationship. You get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, all the all the messy side of parenting and marriage. But uh, I think one one night, as we were all just around the fire, just the guys uh, we were just talking about our friendship, which had started in college and probably over a decade of friendship, and just talking about what made it work, why did we love it, why did we decided to go on vacation together, and it was just a wonderful conversation reflecting over just the blessing that God had given us and in, in having each other as friends. So that had kind of been at the background of my mind, and uh, a good friend of mine had invited me to speak at a men's retreat uh, a few months later, and uh, he was asking me, you know, what would be some different topics, and he kind of threw out just some of the usual topics, I guess, that you would get at, at marriage conference or at, you know, men's retreats. You know, could we talk about pornography and purity or, you know, disciplines of a godly man, that type of thing. And I, I offered up friendship, just coming fresh off of the heels of the vacation and thinking about it. And uh, we kind of took it and ran with it and did this men's retreat on friendship and put together some content for it. And and afterwards, the the pastor said, hey, you should... Uh, maybe think about putting that into a book. And it was good content, and I think it could really be used. So that was kind of the genesis of of how the book came together. Uh, I'll, although I'll, I'll say this, putting sermons and making it into a book was not as easy as I anticipated. So, <laughs> What, what <laughs> made it so that. difficult? Well, I had never written before a, a book on my own, and so I thought to myself, you know, oh, you know, you just take these five sermon manuscripts that you've got, on you know different topics of friendship, and uh, I sent them into the publisher. I remember the first feedback that I got back was the content was good, but your writing's atrocious, and you need some editing help. So <laughs> it was a it was a good lesson in humility for sure. Well, we so. must share editors because I get that back all the time too. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Should, should Jesus make a profound difference in in friendship, Jonathan? I mean, it, yeah. it, it seems like. Friendship is is part of common grace. It's something that's given to, you know, to creation. And you hear uh, throughout history, you read classics of friendships and, uh, you know, men and women together that have had enormous affection and, and that's lasted a long period of time. I, what? How does Jesus make the difference in a friendship? No, great question, Dave. I, I really think Christ makes the ultimate difference in friendship. I think we're in a we're in a place where friendship gets situated and located around all kinds of different things. Uh, for guys, you know, a lot of times it's sports, it's work, uh, stage of life, things like that. the The problem with making friendships primarily about a hobby or a common interest is, for most people, those those things change over the years. You know, your families change, you move locations, your your interests change, and oftentimes if that's all that your friendship is centered around, the the friendship, you know, quickly can go a different pathway. Uh, they either fall apart or you end up needing to make new friends. Uh, but friendships that are primarily centered on and founded on Christ, they are the most stable friendships, I find. And they really help people, I think, weather through family transitions, work transitions, interests and hobbies. And the best thing I think about centering friendships on Christ is that it really opens it really opens up the field in terms of who you can be friends with. And a lot of times I think we're told, you know, you can only be friends with people that are your age, have your interest, and 
had three kids like you do too. So centering friendships on Christ to me has just been, I don't know, for me, it, it makes sense uh, based off of what we know about, about our faith and scripture and just how friendship works. So, Jonathan, a follow-up question to that that I have is, it seems like whether for good or bad, uh, that most friendships, at least at the start, begin around some commonality that people have, whether it's family or friendships, I mean, not friendships, or interests or hobbies or something, you know, here in in Tallahassee, Florida State University football is a huge commonality. Um, So I guess the the follow-up I would have is, first of all, how do we, how do we move beyond those commonalities? And also, how do we, how do we, or should we be looking to connect with people who don't share those same common interests? Right. Mm -hmm. Good. Great question. Very good. I, I think that interests and hobbies are, are wonderful connecting opportunities. I mean, being from the Buckeye State, pretty much every conversation you're going to have with the guy is either about the Buckeyes or the Cavs. And of course, lately, it's all about the Cavs. Uh, so, you know, you just you, you go with it. I think the, the trouble is, is if it never goes beneath that, if every conversation reverts back to that interest, if, if all the activity that you do together as friends centers around that particular hobby or interest. So the only time you hang out is to watch Cavs games or the only time that you spend time talking is if it's relating to, you know, your fantasy football league or you're out on the golf course. Uh, so I think interest in, in hobbies and things that are common are, are great, are great opportunities to have friendships flourish. You just, I don't think you want to build the entire friendship just on that singularity. Uh, you know, when we're looking for friendships, I realize that there is probably going to be a degree of just comfortability with people who are more like you. Uh, and so that makes sense. You know, when you're looking at the, the audience or looking at your church congregation, you'll gravitate towards certain people. But I think friendship that's centered on Christ, what it at least helps you do is to, to broaden, out your, broaden out your vision a little bit about for, you know, who God could bring into your life uh, for friendship, uh, whether it be people of differing ages different life stages, you know, or even different interests. Seems like a key distinction um, when I think about friendships is, is which ones do I grow through? And, uh, you know, that, that tends to be uh, the Christian friendships, and it tends to be because there's a genuine fellowship around the things of our life, meaning that there's discussion about the Word of God, that there's prayer, that there's some accountability, that there's, there's uh, questions that would nurture application, and that the fellowship that we experience kind of begins with God, and it inspires us in our relationship more towards God. And, you know, to me, that's a, th- those, are the, those are the best yes. kind of relationships and- to have. Definitely, definitely. You know, a little turn of phrase sometimes that we use when talking about people or friends, you know, we say a friend is going to be with you through thick or thin. And, you know, just the, even the analogy there of, of the thickness and thinness of friendship, I think, you know, there are times when friendships do really flourish just at the thin level in terms of just enjoying life together, enjoying a great cup of coffee together, watching a movie together. We want friendship to enjoy things like that. But a good friendship also, I think, moves deeper into the thickness of life as well, where you share burdens, uh, you're open about uh, your struggles, uh, your you know different things that that you're dealing with in life. So a good friendship, I think, tries to combine you know all of life, 
uh, and really live it in an embodied way with each other that, that makes Christian friendship, I think, markedly different than, than what the world offers. Now, Stephen, you, you see this through a, a different set of glasses in that you were raised in the church and your first friends, um, as you were coming of age, you know, they were probably predominantly, you were homeschooled for a while, you know, predominantly. <laughs> Not predominantly, Christian. exclusively. Okay, exclusively <laughs> Christian. So, so how did the experience of being raised in the church shape your understanding and experience of friendship? I would say... In two ways immediately that I can think of. Um, the first is, in some ways, regrettably, I don't. I think it still to this day I'm not particularly good at building friendships with unbelievers that that could lead to um, deeper uh, conversations and opportunities to share the gospel. So that's obviously I see that as a negative. I I want to grow in it. I just I stink at it though. Um, the positive, though, is I at a young at a youngish age, I at least had <clears throat> excuse me had a fundamental grasp of the difference between trite friendship and legitimate uh, God glorifying fellowship. And I don't always like to draw a line between those two because I think it can be unhelpful and artificial. But just realizing that there is a difference between like bros just hanging out, watching a football game, and like Jonathan was saying, actually talking through the challenges of life, the struggles of life. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for me at a young age, I think I pushed somewhat too hard on those things, uh, even with friends, and it kind of ended up, they were like, what are you doing? This uh, I don't understand how to be friends like this. So it was it was interesting. It was certainly a dynamic, even still, that I don't feel like I have a great handle on, but that I'm... I'm wrestling with so interesting glasses when you grow up in the church, homeschooled pastor's kid, all those kind of things. <laughs> well, well, and, and a new reality has emerged, you know, as you were as you were coming of age, which is the whole idea of a, of digital friendship. You know that uh, the whole idea of friendship has morphed a bit, so that it now means you can have this this digital relationship with somebody online that actually replaces face-to-face interchange and interaction. Uh, let me kick this one over over to you, Jonathan. How, how do you think the internet has, has changed the whole nature of friendship? Right. It's a, it's, a, it's a great question because, I mean, it's at the forefront of everybody's life. I mean, anybody who has a phone really, you know, is, is struggling with this. And it's a tricky question because I think, you know, oftentimes we can try to correct the perceived imbalance uh, with another imbalance, you know, so meaning technology gets blamed for all the friendship problems. But I mean, personally, I'm thankful for technological advances, you know, which have helped me do friendship easier. You know, I'm thankful for phone, for email, texting, and different things like that. But I don't think many of us, myself included, I don't think we always properly situate technology uh, as it as it relates to our friendships. And so we get ourselves into trouble. Um, you know, if technology is the primary way that you know the other person and are known by the other person, I I think that's probably a problem. You know, if the only you know points of conversation are, hey, I saw what you did last weekend. You know, tell me about it. If if the conversation only lives in that that digital world, you know, I think that that would be I that'd be concerning. Uh, one of the troubles I find, at least, especially you know, just interacting with people people here at my churches, you know, social media just gives you an opportunity to to curate and put together 
a, a strikingly different narrative of your life than, than what could be the real you. And so if you're not involved in an embodied way with each other where you are seeing each other, there's opportunities for just everyday engagement, uh, you could be a completely different person online, you know, than, than what you are in, 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 you know, in the flesh. And so technology, I think when it veers off into that, where that's the only thing that mediates and holds the friendship together, I think that that's tough. Um, Sherry Turkle, uh, who has been, has done a lot of research on this topic, uh, kind of paraphrasing her, she says, you know, technology a lot of times gives you the illusion of intimacy without any of the demands of friendship. And I think that sometimes that does happen. You, you think that you're friends because you know content about the other person and you see content about the other person, but, but that's not what makes a friendship. And if you, can, if you can distinguish between that, I think that you can properly situate technology as a helpful benefit to your friendships while not making it the only thing that, that helps that friendship grow and be maintained. So Yeah, in some ways, um, Facebook, which, which I'm on, um, uh, in the on being the loosest sense of the word, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't use it very well or very very practically. But uh, by using that term friends, and by having it pounded in through repetition, um, you know, I think there is a way that it's grabbing a hold of the word itself Absolutely. and yeah. creating a redefinition that guts friendship of of presence. Of yes. of embodiment, yes. you know, of of being there, of space, of being, of being together, of you know, ultimately, you know, that incarnational experience that we yeah. have with one another, where, you know, where we're we're emptying ourselves of our rights and our prerogatives and moving toward each other in service and love. Right. I you know I think about Paul in First Thessalonians. You know, he loves the church so much. He's writing letters to them. And, it, and there's just almost like this throwaway phrase at the end of chapter two where he, he just says, I long to see you face to face. You know, writing, writing letters and, and hearing messages about you is not it's, not, it's not the same as just being with you face to face. And that's what he really wants. And, and that's what I love about a, a really good friendship is there are wonderful things that you can do over social media. But a good friend you just want to be with. You know, you just want to see face to face. And I don't think anything can really equate to that, to that dynamic. Now, part of what part of what I want to do uh, talk about in this discussion of friendship and how I wanted to apply it was to talk about friendships among leaders. And Jonathan, right. I'm going to pose a question to you. And but Stephen, I want you to jump on this as well because I'd be interested in your perspective also, um, because because friendships for leaders can be more complicated. Um, right. They they can often come with agendas that other people have. Um, I, 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 want, I want to attach to you because I want your help. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want your insight. I want my standing to improve. Um, and and it can, things can happen from the leader's side. A leader can have an agenda as well you know, for cultivating a friendship with a certain person. I, I want the influence that, that you carry. I want to be associated or assigned with you. But in light of all of that, it seems like the landscape is a little different for a leader. So, Jonathan, first to you and then to Stephen. How should a leader choose friends wisely? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an important question. I think for pastors and ministry leaders, friendship is really, uh, it's really difficult and can be challenging. 
Uh, I say a lot of times, you know, in ministry, you have a lot of foes and you have a lot of fans sometimes in your church, but not very many friends. And and, and for many pastors and church leaders, at least personally and anecdotally, I just hear more and more stories of, of pastors who are lonely and isolated, uh, which is an interesting dynamic because it, it would seem maybe that it would be the opposite. I mean, you're surrounded by hundreds of people on a given Sunday, uh, but yet you go home on Sunday afternoon and just find yourself very lonely and, and not really known by your people. Uh, so, you know, I mean, in many ways, I'm eager to hear, you know, Dave and Stephen, how you guys would, would answer this. But but personally, I I would absolutely think that a pastor needs needs deep and abiding friendships. I don't think that's optional. I don't think that pastors or ministry leaders should get get an opt-out card when it comes to ministry uh, for whatever reason you know you might put forward. Uh, so I think that there are probably just different just different levels of uh, wisdom that need to be layered around in terms of how does a pastor pursue friendships within his church? Uh, how can you build relationships of trust with people? Um, another, another important dynamic that I found too is that the person on the other side of the friendship is probably equally as intimidated and fearful in terms of being friends with their pastor. Uh, I remember a friend of mine here at the church who over the past eight, eight or nine years, we've gotten to be good friends. And he said early on, he goes, I never wanted to talk about my struggles because I didn't, I didn't want it to be used against me. You know, I didn't want, you know, once the pastor finds out I struggle in this way, you know, that, that that'll prohibit me from serving or that you would look at me or view me differently because of your leadership role. And that was just insightful for me to, to help understand just what their experience of friendship with me uh, might lead to. Yeah, that raises a different, uh, a, a, an interesting issue to me because um, one of the things that's ha- that happens, particularly with men that are pursuing a call to ministry is is many of them end up in a role in a church that's either some kind of leadership role, maybe an elder, maybe they're planting a church, but they then find that these relationships that they had that were based upon a different role and a different stage of life, they have to morph into something else because now they have a role where they're leading that person or or right. they're pastoring that person. And and right. Stephen, I think I think you've probably been in that a time or two. How does one navigate that kind of complexity? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm particularly good at it. Um, in fact, I, for the number of years that I was a pastor, one of my constant challenges was trying to... I, I, I did not like being a, a person who was one way with... Uh, I wanted to, to simply be the same person across the board, and mm-hmm. that was an ongoing challenge for me. And I felt like with with the friends that I chose, I was I was seeking to choose friends who were going to allow me to just be honest with them, and uh, that I felt like we could just be honest friends with each other and that there wasn't a because it does seem like there is a reality for the pastor that the very role of pastor at least initially puts up somewhat of a barrier mm-hmm. and w- even if you're not trying to do that in the least and so you you begin to be in a place where you have to bring some direction like for you you were on the you were a musician then ultimately you were leading 
mm-hmm. you were a worship leader mm-hmm. and so some of the guys that you were you were a musician with they were friends you guys would hang out and yep. chill yeah. but all of a sudden you're leading the band and there's schedules there's this guy isn't going to play this week this woman is um you know there's there's places where you have to apply your leadership that all comes into play in the relationship that wasn't there in the past yeah and i felt like the what i tried to do sometimes successfully sometimes not successfully is maintain as much as possible even with the people i wasn't super close friends with a a light-hearted relationship around things that didn't matter uh just where we would you know we're we're talking you know we're we're practicing with the worship team and and we're all making you know we're making jokes about the mistakes we're all making where i'm making fun of myself just trying to keep it to the point where they felt like i wasn't i could still give direction without as little as possible intimidation um and i don't think i always succeeded at that but that was what i was trying to accomplish i think sometimes folks miss that um that as we grow, as we you know pursue God, that God gives us different roles, and those roles come with different hats. And that to to exist wisely in a relationship, sometimes we have to put on different hats in in different situations. And that if you you have people that aren't able to understand and roll with a necessary change of the relationship at certain points, um, where you can step into your role you can put on that hat you can do what you're supposed to do to be faithful to god but then that hat doesn't define you it's just something that you need to do to, to be able to define that up front for your friends and uh and help them to understand that there's some hats that need to be worn and you know you want their their feedback on how well you're doing it um and you also need their support as you try to do it can I flip it a question to you, Dave? Yeah. You have not only have you led been part of leading large churches, but also large groups of churches. You're currently, you know, executive director of the Sojourn group of churches. It seems like you certainly uh, you're going to experience isolation just given the the largeness of your roles at times. So how did you bring people into close friendship with you um, in such a way that you could get those things you were just talking about, feedback, encouragement, support, those kinds of things. Because you're not going to get that from a lot of people, right? Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I was very grateful to God, this is, a, this is a report of where God was very good to me, and then I think also a failure uh, in my life. Uh, where God was very good to me is that I had cultivated strong relationships prior to being in ministry and maintained those relationships through ministry for a long period of time and and fought to protect those relationships because they weren't in ministry and I and I felt like I needed um, that voice you know that 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 touch that perspective from a friend uh, there was a grounding that came. These were not that. ministry friends. These were not, yeah, these not, are not in people ministry. in ministry, okay. right? Yeah, or or not even elders or anything. You know, not even lay elders, just folks in the church that might be a small group leader. But um, I think what happened then over time is that uh, my job became demanding in such a way, and those some of those relationships experienced 
some stressors so that when I had to begin to choose time allocation, I found myself, in retrospect, I found myself choosing, you know, to go ahead and try to keep ministry moving forward and, uh, and lost touch with some of those, those folks. And uh, I really regret that. And so as we came down here and relocated to Tallahassee three years ago, one of the things that Kim and I said is we wanna, we wanna get in a small group where nobody's like on staff and, and just build <laughs> relationships with, uh, with folks that are, are in the church. So for the last three years, we've been in this Bible study, uh, or we call it a, a community group, but uh, it's just a group of folks that meet twice a month and are sharing their lives and, uh, and nobody's on the staff here. And, uh, and it's added and enriched our life so much. Jonathan, did you have a thought on that, or because I got another question I no. wanted to ask you? Well, I think I think what all all three of us are probably acknowledging, you know, is we we mess up and we make mistakes, and and friendship is is not a perfect relationship, and that's why, you know, I think centering friendship on Christ is so important because if it's centered on Christ, there's great opportunity for reconciliation and for forgiveness to say. Hey, I've messed up. I've let you down. You know, I haven't met expectations. Because uh, you hear so many anecdotes on the other side where friendships just end and they're just cut off and you move forward and you just kind of wash your hands and, and forget about it, and make a new friend. But uh, friendship in ministry is, is, is difficult and there's complexities to it. But I think all three of us would probably acknowledge that there's a lot of fruitfulness, though, in them too when they're pursued rightly. And, and I know. I've experienced that, and I'm sure you guys have too, but it just requires a lot of humility and, and always a desire to press forward and not to isolate. Uh, it's, not, it's not an easy relationship for sure. Yeah, and I'd, so. I'd want to hear the, guy, hear the guys that are listening to hear if they're not in ministry but they're pursuing ministry or they're trying to position themselves for ministry that, that the relationships that you have right now are worth protecting as you Absolutely. pursue yeah. ministry and, and, and retaining them. You know, as I'm thinking about this whole area of area of leadership, Jonathan, I'm I, I well, part of the inevitable experience of leadership is that um, you can experience, we can experience the the heartrending pain of someone leaving us. Yeah. So we have somebody who's close, and perhaps they they betray us. Mm -hmm. in some way or they just decide that what we're about they no longer want to be about yeah or they just end up for being offended and maybe unilaterally redefining the relationship and just and just jumping out of the pool without any discussion whatsoever so i wanted i wanted to point this at you and say jonathan talk, talk about maybe for you a time where a friend left Mm -hmm. and what you experienced in that and how God met you in that. Right. You know, I had a, there was a group of friends, a uh, group of guys, and we were very close throughout college. And uh, after we all graduated, a lot of us stayed in the area as well. And, and over that time, one of, one of our friends uh, just kind of confided in all of us just about a, a pretty significant struggle, a significant issue that, that he had been struggling with, you know, during his entire time at college. And, I think it caught us by shock. Not we weren't maybe surprised as we as we look back over over our past four years. But uh, those I'd say next couple of years were just wonderful for our friendship. Just coming alongside him, uh, trying to be good friends with him, 
making sure every conversation didn't circle back around to this particular struggle, but just cultivating a good friendship where accountability and growth and all those different things could factor in. Uh, but probably after the two-year mark, he, he ended up getting married, and uh, we all came to his wedding, and uh, I don't know, just things, things began to drift away. And I know many of us, we tried to kind of reach out and touch base and just kind of didn't get the cold shoulder, but just, hey, you know, I'm busy, married life, just the demands of, of a new job and a new schedule just came upon us. And it was, I mean, honestly, for me, it was very heartbreaking because, you know, we had six plus years invested in this relationship and, you know, I loved him dearly. And just it, for me, it just seemed like over time, it it didn't just disappear in an instant, but just slowly began to uh, to just fade away. And so, you know, your only connection is what you see online and you know little things about them, but you want, you know, you want more than that. Uh, and so in terms of, in terms of dealing with it, I'm sure that I didn't do it right, you know, and I, and I need to admit that, but I, you know, we would try to pursue each other, set up times to talk on the phone and whatnot. But uh, at least for me, at least for where I ended up landing was just entrusting the friendship to the Lord, realizing I'd done what I thought I could do to to repair it, to re-engage it at different times, and just to maintain a posture of if there was ever an opportunity to really renew that friendship, uh, that I'd be happy to, and that the Lord would give me grace to be able to to move forward and to to renew that. But at least at the point where I was at then and where I'm at now, of I, there's only so much I can do too, and uh, friendship thrives in mutuality. So if you're going to have a friendship, you need you need two people. So uh, when when that happens, you know I'll be eager and looking forward to it. But at least for the time being, you know you're a little bit left in a in a, in a waiting zone for it. I so. think sometimes it can be it can be disillusioning for Christians to encounter people that they were friends with that then leave for reasons that they think are inexplicable or irrational. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, what seems to happen is that that a Christian, uh, an unbeliever gets converted or a new Christian, find they find their way into a good local church. And the good local church begins to do what good churches do, which is a, it creates the gospel is preached. It creates community. People have connections. Get people. Folks are getting beneath the surface. Friendships are getting deep. Mm-hmm. And then there is this. There is this assumption almost that if it's not, if it's not checked by the reality of being reminded that we're in a fallen world, mm-hmm. um, it's it's almost like the you know the Corinthians with their over realized eschatology. It mm-hmm. it begins to feel like okay, this is heaven. We're moving towards heaven. <laughs> you know, God is God is with us. It's always going to be like this. It's you know, it's it's never going to be a, a a problem. And uh, and so I think it it can set believers up to think that the best of what they're experiencing is going to be what they always experience. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, then they're wholly unprepared when conflict happens or when people sin in ir- irrational ways or, you know, just the doc, the mystery of the lawlessness of sin, you know, it, it plays out in the human experience. Um, it, whether it's, you know, you've got all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, you have God as their father, and uh, you know they're they're Bolton east of Eden, and 
you have Jesus and his disciples uh, who are all booking out on him and yeah. and you know Peter denying and and Judas betraying and and Paul at the end of his life all of Asia's left me you know right. <clears throat> there's just this it seems like the the leadership experience is one where they have to come to terms with a certain reality about leadership and that is that it's not going to be this heaven that you build on earth and and when it does become that for a while recognize that thank god for that celebrate grace in that but but also recognize that uh you know that it just takes a, a little bit of sin to disrupt things and that that may be aimed at you and yeah. and god's big enough for that as well yeah dave when you came when you came to parkside and you did that friday night session with our elders and our leaders just on departures and desertions and ministry i mean it just struck a chord with with myself and so many because you realize that is the reality that we live in we live in a fallen world and people make mistakes and if the entire continent of Asia has left the Apostle Paul, it probably shouldn't surprise us that, you know, on a day in and a day out basis, you know, there's going to be heartache and disappointment and difficulties in, in relationships. And, and, just, and just knowing that, I think, is, is comforting in some ways because I think it rightly sets expectations for, for friendships and, and, and just how they're going to go, the rhythms of friendship in terms of how they're going to play out. So. Stephen, have you had any experiences where the and I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up on this, but where the the reality of of the church or the reality of the world and or God's people in the world uh, that there was a kind of market shift downward from the ideal which you thought you were living in to the reality of what it is for the church, and you've had to struggle through that in any way. Uh, yeah, completely. I uh, I should have mentioned this earlier when you asked me about growing up in the church. I think one of the greatest downsides I had to growing up in the church was I was very naive about how sin works among Christians. Mm. And it wasn't until, honestly, the last five years that I truly, I think I truly have come to see how much how much sin there is in all of us, myself mm. included, in all believers, how much we desperately need Jesus Christ. And honestly, I think I've had an over-realized understanding of sanctification, even how much people grow in Christ in a given period. And I think I've, for many years, expected too much out of people in an unbiblical way that mm. I think doesn't even appropriately express the gospel and how the gospel meet, meets us in our darkness. So it's been a downward shift in the sense that I, I think I maybe have a more realistic view of, of sin in the church, but I think it also has in some ways elevated my understanding of the salvation of Christ because things are really bad, but Jesus still saves us, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Amen. Yeah. Yes, and I think the three of us would say you know, that we have all encountered that reality and yet we are still men that deeply love the church we're involved in the church we're members of the church we're leaders in the church and uh you know i think there there's a way that god brings you out the other side of that where you're you're actually able to serve the church more effectively yeah yeah absolutely 
Well, no, I was just going to add to all, you know, what both of you are saying, you know, when you're thinking about friendships and especially just the fallenness of how we are and how we work. Uh, I'm just constantly asking God to help open up my heart and my eyes, my blind spots to help me see where I do make mistakes. Because, you know, a lot of times when these types of difficulties happen in friendship, you know, it's quick to want to point the finger, point to their unrealistic expectations or whatnot. But so often, I think I've I've been to blame. You know, it's been my my inconsideration. It's been my impatience. It's been an unkind word or a lack of attentiveness to the relationship. And 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 by God's grace, we we confess, we seek forgiveness, and, and we we seek to move forward. And we realize that those ideal perfect friendships will never be perfectly realized here on earth. But it pushes us forward then to the future where. Together, all of us will be in friendship, worshiping God, which I think is a glorious vision for all of us. And may it come soon. Yes. Amen. Well, Jonathan uh, and Stephen as well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Am I Called podcast. And Jonathan, thank you for writing that book on friendship that is published by Cruciform. Uh, it's called The Company We Keep. And there's, is there a subtitle, Jonathan? In Search of Biblical Friendship. In Search of Biblical Friendship. So for our listeners, you want to check out that book. You can get online right now and check it out. And uh, folks, just want to remind you that this has been the Am I Called podcast. And if you want to go to amicalled.com, you're going to find tons of free stuff on leadership and calling and, and preaching. And there are podcasts, just like the one we're doing today. There are podcasts there with uh, Zach Eswine and Randy Alcorn and Russ Moore and Paul Tripp and other men and women. And there's also a free, you might like this, there's a free assessment there that you can take that will help to give you some perspective on whether you might be called to vocational ministry. So if you're interested in that, go to amicall.com. Again, this is Dave. Uh, I'm your host and have a great day. <laughs>